Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the fifth Sunday in Lent, April 3rd, 2022, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the gospel lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 20, can be found on page 1633 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 20. And Jesus began to tell the, par- the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let, out, let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere so that it might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is true. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in that truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. My high school social studies teacher used to tell a story about a man who was paralyzed by the three most common fears in life. Now, 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 before I give this little anecdote, I would like to preface this by saying I went to high school in an entirely different age than the present time. And this high school social studies teacher came from a way different age. So, so, so just brace that. It's a, it's a little unsettling. So this high school social studies teacher used to tell the story of the man who was afraid of rejection and he was afraid of public speaking, and he was afraid of death. And in this man's overly morbid outcome, he died alone because he never told anyone anyone how he felt. And, And he was teaching that as he was teaching us about social studies and the flow of history, and I think 
And again, I think this, because this, this, this teacher of mine was very eccentric, I think the point of this is that he was trying to teach us that history is rarely accomplished by people who cannot rise above their shortcomings and their self-imposed obstacles. I think that was the whole point of this man that he would tell us about repeatedly. This is one of his favorite things to talk about. Uh, I think something like that was true. But either way, it gives us the opportunity to think about the fear of rejection today. Now, fear of rejection is a powerful force. It can cause people not to do something important that they know is right and true because they don't want to be rejected. It can turn others into people pleasers, constantly afraid what someone else will, will think of them if they fail. Uh, fear of rejection uh, got me into more than en enough sticky situations in, in high school and in college. But our task today is to step outside of that for a moment and ask ourselves the question, what if Jesus is the one who's being rejected? What if it's God himself who is being turned away? And that's what the gospel lesson this morning is all about. So as we turn our eyes back to Luke 20, let's look at Jesus' rejection and find out what it means for the church today. So first, Jesus is rejected by the wicked tenants. Now the main part of the gospel lesson, Jesus tells us the parable of the wicked tenants. We know that's what it's called because that's what all the headlines in our study Bibles call it. Okay? It's, a, it's a fairly straightforward parable as far as parables go. A man plants a vineyard and lets it out to tenants while he travels during the harvest, the man sends envoys to collect their payment for renting the vineyard. Now, this was a common practice in the ancient world. You, you might call them sharecroppers or something like that. People would lease the land from an owner, and in return for tending the fields or raising the crops or doing whatever, they would give the owner of that land the best portion of the harvest. It's like a rent payment. This is not anything out of the ordinary right now. But what is out of the order, ordinary is that the tenants reject the servants who were sent by the owner. They beat the servants and they send them each away empty-handed. Now, in an effort to ramp up the intensity, this owner, this man, sends his son, his own flesh and blood, thinking the tenants will finally respect him and his efforts. But the wicked tenants devise a plot and kill the son, foolishly thinking they will take possession of the vineyard for themselves. The outcome, however, is quite the opposite. The owner of the vineyard comes and destroys the tenants, but he unexpectedly doesn't let the vineyard out to new tenants. He gives it to others. The very thing the wicked tenants desired for themselves, this man does for other people entirely. Now again, as far as parables go, I think the interpretation and understanding of this parable is particularly straightforward. I mean, even the scribes and the Pharisees were clued in that Jesus was talking about them. Everyone knows what was going on with the interpretation. 
And in reality, the parable isn't just about the scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' time. It's about the entire Jewish religious establishment of the Old Testament up to the time of Christ. The vineyard, as it commonly does in the Old Testament, represents the people of God. The tenants are the wicked leaders of the Jews in the Old Testament, the false prophets, the false priests, and the weak and wicked kings that we read about on the pages of the Old Testament. These wicked leaders have a long history of rejecting, mistreating, and even killing the messengers of God. That, if you want a good summary of the Old Testament, that's what it looks like. Now, this heritage has been taken up by the religious elites of Jesus' day, commonly referred to in the gospel as the scribes and the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the scribes really didn't listen to John the Baptist. They felt even threatened by the people Jesus healed. The man born blind is rejected by the Pharisees. Lazarus is rejected by the Pharisees. So in, in, in a turnabout of all the weird events in the Gospels, the first thing the Pharisees do after hearing about the risen Lazarus is plan to kill him. Because he's inconvenient. Ultimately then, of course, we know that the scribes and the Pharisees reject Jesus and kill him too. God's anger flares up against the wicked leaders of the Jews. And time and time again, he punishes the Jews for their unfaithfulness. In the Old Testament, this is highlighted by going into exile. First of the northern kingdom to Assyria, then of the southern kingdom to Babylon. But in the New Testament, this looks like the temple being destroyed by the Romans. And it looks like Jerusalem being plundered and destroyed by the Romans 50 years after that. That's the fulfillment of the parable. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's John sets up his entire gospel based on this knowledge that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus is rejected by the wicked tenants. But then Jesus switches gears and we see that he's also rejected by the builders. Now, the second part of the gospel lesson is no less powerful than the parable. Jesus quotes from Psalm 118.22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this verse from Psalm 118 is one of the most often quoted verses in the entire New Testament. There are two related implications to Jesus' use of this verse in the whole narrative of the cornerstone. First, it's a commentary on what the temple had become for the Jews. Part of Jesus' ministry, as he walked and talked and lived and breathed among humans just like us, was he was intent on directing people away from trust in the temple as the temple. Because in the end, the temple was there to point people to him. But the Jews used the temple as a source of pride, as a source of identity, even as a source of security, which in the end, all it meant was that it was a source of superstition. Now, what's interesting is that in the Old Testament, this is also a common theme. 
Jeremiah objects to the prophets who appealed to the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. The, the, the people of God, in the land of God, were always putting their trust in something that was not God. And so Jesus comes along and he says, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up again. The temple was always about Jesus. But in commenting on the temple, Jesus was also indicating that the Jewish leaders and the people who followed them were instead building something for themselves. And this is what Psalm 118 is all about. The stone that the builders rejected carries with it this image of the construction of the temple, of the construction of the house of God, of the construction of the place of worship. And as the builders of the temple are examining the stones and building one on top of another on top of another, they come to this particular stone, capital S Stone, and they examine it. And they turn it over, and then they throw it over their shoulder and disregard it. They look at the rock. They look at Jesus Christ and say, no, we don't need that. And now I don't know for sure, but I suspect in using that imagery and in quoting that verse, Jesus would have us not think of the temple but instead think of the Tower of Babel. I think that's where he's going with this. Because in rejecting Christ, God takes what the builders threw aside and God makes him the cornerstone of what the building ought to look like. I'm building towards something here, no pun intended, but consider Paul's line of argumentation from Ephesians 2 now and listen to these words and see if it comes together for you like it did for me. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. I think the image Jesus is painting for us here in Luke 20 is exactly what Paul finished in Ephesians 2. And so in the end, our gospel lesson indicates that Jesus is rejected by the Jewish establishment for two reasons. One, they were entrusted with God's gifts and they hoarded them for themselves, rather than giving, giving them back for the glory of God. But two, in the case of Psalm 118, they were building something for themselves instead of looking at what God was building. What they were doing, they were doing in an entirely selfish manner. Now, with those two things in mind, what's easy to miss about the point of our gospel lesson this morning 
is that you and I reject Jesus for exactly the same reasons. As always, the point of Jesus' teaching for us 2,000 years after the fact is not so that we can stand or sit and scoff at the foolish Jews and pat ourselves on the back because the church got it right when the Jews screwed it all up. The whole point for us is that we reject Jesus in exactly the same way. We reject Jesus in the midst of what's been entrusted to us as stewards. Just as the wicked tenants had been entrusted with the care of the vineyard, so we've been entrusted with God's gifts in our lives. Everything we have comes from the hand of God. That's the whole point of the fourth petition. But over and above material possessions, every gift that you have as a spiritual gift has been given for you in use of the church, and we would rather take the confession of our faith and make it entirely private and personal and not be a part of the church. That's what's going on with our rejection of Jesus. Jesus has blessed you with the very shirt on your back and the meal you're about to eat and the job that you have and everything else in between. And Jesus has blessed you to be a part of his church. And we take those blessings and we take those gifts and we hoard them for ourselves as if we're never going to get anything else as if God is reluctantly giving us what we have. And we're selfish. And our selfishness affects others. And in doing that, we reject Christ. But we also reject Jesus because we would rather build something for ourselves. The history of humanity from the very beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden has always been about us wanting the expression of our faith and religion to be about us. We want to interact with God on our own terms. Sometimes, and maybe too harshly, I would admit, I think we've perfected this in the 21st century. Christianity, and maybe especially American Christianity, rarely seems to be about the great I am, but it's frequently about the great M-E. It's about what I want, and how I want it, and when I want it. But in building a religion for ourselves, we often throw Jesus out of the garden entirely. We want our relationship with God to be about our good works. We want it to be about our sincerity. We want it to be about our commitment. But it's rarely ever about who Jesus is, what Jesus says, or what Jesus has done. So that at the end of the day, we are in the exact same place as the Jews whom Jesus was addressing in Luke 20. We're stuck in our sin. We're angry with God, and we've rejected his solution, Jesus Christ. There's one final point to Jesus' teaching that is implicit in all of this. 
in the midst of rejection by the Jews over and over and over again, and even by Christians over and over and over again. In the midst of all this rejection, Jesus doesn't reject you. And this allows us to round back to the very front of the parable, to look at the owner of the vineyard. As, as, I, as I became acquainted with this parable in high school, during youth group, then in Bible school, and as I led and taught various things, and as a pastor, I used to think about how foolish the owner of the vineyard looked. Okay, so he sends one guy and he's rejected, and maybe this guy's just a particularly bad salesman. Right? He sends a second guy, and this guy, the same thing happens to him, and we're slowly creeping into fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me territory. And by the time he sends the third servant, you know what's going to happen, right? And then you get to the turn. The logic of the vineyard owner is they rejected my servants. Of course they're not going to reject my son. And I thought this was foolishness. I thought this was asinine. Until I realized that the owner of the vineyard sends the son because he's going to be rejected. The owner of the vineyard sends the son because he's going to be killed. The outcome of the parable, then, is for the wicked tenants, the son died for them. For the wicked tenants, the son died for you. And in your place, and because of your wickedness, and because of your rejection. In your sin, and in your selfishness, you have come to love your own personal man-made religion over, to, over the faith that was delivered to all the saints in Scripture. The message of the parable of the wicked tenants is that you need a savior because the owner is coming. Because the owner is angry. The message of the parable of the wicked tenants is that Jesus is that savior. The wicked tenants may have beaten Jesus and dragged him outside of Jerusalem and executed him because it was their wicked plan to overthrow the father. But in fact, it was the Father's plan all along. Because the purpose of Jesus' coming is that he came to die. And the purpose of Jesus dying was to die for your sins. So that the outcome of Jesus' rejection is your forgiveness, is your salvation, is your eternal life. In the church today, the capital C Church, Jesus is the most important stone in the building. Everything you receive in church today and every Sunday, forgiveness and salvation and eternal life 
is a gift from God. And every gift you receive in church is yours because of Jesus, because he died, because he rose again. In your sin, you have rejected Jesus. In fact, because of your sin, you continually are rejecting Jesus. But in Christ, God has not rejected you. He has received you. He has redeemed you. He has made you his own. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.